He will play with you like a mom does. He'll play sports with you. He'll take you to the park. And he'll eat lunch with you and watch TV with you. Make sure that you are responsible. That's how you grow up. Gives you hugs. Who gives the best hugs? My mom and dad. You gotta choose one. Who gives the best hugs? My mom. Well, I want to say good morning to all of you who are with us here today. We're so thrilled to have you here at our campus at um, Sugarloaf and those who are watching us online, those who are at our Mill Creek campus. We are excited about you uh, being here today, and I'm excited about the series that uh, we are beginning. Uh, first of all, uh, if you were here last week, I do want to apologize, I guess, for being sick. I, I, don't, I can't remember the last time I missed one by being sick, but Jason did a phenomenal job to be asked to preach in about a 30-minute segment. So I want to thank Pastor Jason for the great job uh, that he did. I want to begin by asking you two questions, and they may sound similar, but they're really different. First question is, what is the hardest work that you've ever done? And just think about that for a second. What is the hardest work that you've ever done? And then the second question is, what is the hardest job that you've ever had? Now, you say, well, that sounds like it's the same thing. It really isn't because there's a difference between doing hard work and having a hard job. Let me give you an illustration. Digging ditches is hard work, but it's not a hard job. And I'm not being condescending to ditch diggers. But if you've got enough physical strength and you've got a shovel, you can dig a ditch. Hard work, not a hard job. Now, brain surgery, that's, hard. that's a hard job. Doing a heart transplant, that's a hard job. Learning to speak Mandarin Chinese, hard job. I want to tell you about the hardest work that I've ever, ever done in my life, and I did it in one day. I got this job the day after. I started it the day after I graduated from high school, and I went to work in a chicken plant. If you know anything about Gainesville, Georgia, where I'm from, it is the poultry capital of the world, and it's that for a good reason. There are chicken plants everywhere. So I went to work for this chicken plant. Well, uh, I didn't do the job that they told me and my dad I would be doing. When I got there that day, my job was to hang live chickens as they came in off the truck. You, you, they came in these cages, and you were supposed to reach into the cage, and you were supposed to grab that chicken, grab them by the leg, and, you, and these hooks are going by, and you're supposed to hang these chickens on the hook. Now, let me tell you how hard this job was. Five guys started out that day, all right? Me and four guys looked like they'd all just gotten out of prison but me. So me and five guys, five guys and I, and it's not five guys and a burger, okay? Five guys and I, we're, we're out here, we're hanging chickens. We started at 7.30 that morning. Well, before noon, three of the five quit. Okay? In fact, we had, a, we had a break about 10.30. Well, they broke and never saw them again. So now there's two of us left. So at noon, we get a lunch break, and my aunt lived about a mile from this chicken plant, and I went over to my aunt's house, and I was just exhausted. I just wanted to rest. And so when I came back, the fourth guy didn't show up. So I'm the only guy left at 1 o'clock. I hung by myself over 1,000 chickens by myself. I didn't get home until almost 8 o'clock that night. I can still remember like yesterday. I walked in. 
I was covered with chicken poop. I was covered with chicken scratches. And when I walked in, my mom and dad just, their jaws dropped. And I just told my dad, I said, I'm just too chicken to ever go back to that place again. And the only thing I learned from that job is I did learn why there is a real joy in frying chickens. Okay, that's the only thing I learned. Now, that's the hardest work I've ever done. Not the hardest job I've ever had. By far and away, I can tell you, the hardest job I've ever had is being a parent. Nothing even comes close. Nothing even is in the ballpark. The hardest job I've ever had is being a dad. As a matter of fact, I agree with a man named John Wilmo, the Earl of Rochester, who many years ago, he said this. He said, before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children and no theories. Now, we're beginning a series today that we are calling, Don't Make Me Come Back There. And anyone who's ever had any children in the backseat of a car on a long trip know exactly what it means to say those words, right? We've all had that experience. Now, I want to say something to you up front, be as transparent as I don't know how to be. Most series that I do are pretty easy series for me to do, okay? It's not, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of work in preparation and all, but personally, you know, not, not, not a big deal. This is going to be a very difficult series for me to do because if you were to say to me, hey, if you could live your life all over again, would you? I can tell you I wouldn't even hesitate. I would absolutely say yes. And let me tell you the number one reason why I would give anything if I could live my life over again. I would love to have a do-over as a dad. I'd give everything I own, and, every, and I really mean this, everything I own, everything I have, every accomplishment I've ever done, everything God's ever given to me, every place I've ever been, I would give it all up if I could go over my years as a dad one more time because the most frustrating thing about being a parent, and if you're a parent of young children, listen, the most frustrating thing about being a parent is just about the time you realize what you should have done, you're out of a job. It's too late. Kids are already gone. And I'm going to be honest enough with you over the next several weeks to tell you that some of the things I'm going to say will be in this category. Don't do as I did, do as God says to do. Don't do as I did, do as God says and said. Now, I'm not going to try to hype this thing, but I want to tell you, if you are a parent, and oh, by the way, if you're a grandparent, as I am, if you're a parent or a grandparent, the next four weeks may be the most important four weeks of your life. And I'm going to tell you why. In my opinion, there is no more important job in the world than being a parent. President of the United States can't touch it. CEO of the five, Fortune 500 companies, not even in the ballpark. Being the general over all the armies of the world couldn't even compare to being a dad. You say, well, why do you believe that? Because the future of our nation the future of our culture, the future of our society, the future of our world, the future of the church is in the hands of our children. It is by far and away the most important job in the world. And so let me just kind of give you this thought. I hear people say all the time, we need to leave a better world for our children. And okay, I'm all for that. I want to leave the world better than it was when I was here. But can I be honest with you? It doesn't matter if we leave a better world for our children, if we don't leave better children for our world. It doesn't matter. Franklin Roosevelt said this. He said, we may not, may not be able to prepare the future for our children, but we can at least prepare our children for the future. And that's exactly what we ought to be doing. And we have, the good news is, we have a heavenly father 
who wants to prepare his children, help his children prepare their children to be the best children they can be. We have a heavenly father who wants his children who are parents to prepare their children for the future. And the greatest fatherly advice ever given to fathers and mothers I've ever found on how to do their job is found, if you can believe this, in one sentence in the Bible. One sentence. It has an encyclopedia full of everything we need to be to be the parents that God wants us to be. So if you have an iPhone, an iPad, or you've got a Bible, or whatever it is you bring, there's a book in the Bible called Ephesians, all right? It's in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way over. So I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, it is incredible to me how much wisdom God can pack in 18 words. I was reading this and I thought, I've read so many books on parenting. I mean, I can't tell you how many books I've read on parenting. And I thought to myself, God, you've said more in 18 words than most authors could say in book after book after book. There's better advice. There's more wisdom in this one sentence on how to be the kind of parents to raise the kind of children that they need to become, to the adults they need to become and they need to be, than you'll find in 10 books or 20 books or 30 books. They're just 18 words, and it's just so full of good stuff. So let me just kind of read them to you right now. We're in Ephesians 6, verse 4. Paul says, the apostle Paul's writing, he said, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, let me tell you why that is such a powerful statement. In that one sentence, God's come to every dad and every mom in this room, every dad and every mom that will be watching this on television, watching by computer, wherever you may hear, DVD, CDD, CD. God has come to every mom and dad, and God has basically said, I just told you what is your number one responsibility as a parent. I just told you what your greatest responsibility is as a parent. And believe it or not, in just 18 words, God tells us four things that we ought to give our children that are so important. They are more important than giving your children a good education. They are more important than giving your children nice clothes or a fancy car, or even a meaningful career. In fact, these are the kind of things, I'm going to be bold enough to make this statement. If you will begin today, not even tomorrow, if you will begin today, if you'll write down these four things, and if you'll begin today to say, God, every day for the rest of my life, as long as I'm a parent, I'm going to see to it that my children get these four things. I guarantee you, You'll maximize the things you're glad that you did as a parent, and you'll minimize the things you wish you had not done as a parent. Okay, so four things that we need to give our kids are right here in this text. Number one, give your children tender affection. Give your children tender affection. Now, let me tell you something that Paul does. You talk about a great psychologist and a great teacher. Now, you would think that when Paul's talking about kids and how to raise kids, he would start talking about kids. He doesn't do that. Before he talks to parents about their children, he says, first of all, let me talk to you parents about you. Before you even think about parenting your kids, let's talk about you as a parent. Let's talk about you as a person. So he starts out by saying this. He said, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, let me just stop because I know what a lot of you mothers are saying right now. What about us? I mean, didn't even, I mean, it takes two to, be, you know, to, to have a child, right? Why is he addressing this to 
moms. Why, does, why doesn't he include both parents? Well, he already has. You go back up to verse 1, and he starts out this whole section by saying this, children, obey your parents. He's talking to moms and dads. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So he actually starts off this whole section by talking to both mom and dad, but then he comes down to verse 4, and he does something very interesting, and it may disturb you a little bit till you learn why. He focuses on dads. He leaves the mom out for a moment. He focuses on dads. Now, there's a spiritual reason that Paul does that, and there is a cultural reason. So let me go back 2,000 years. I want you to imagine you live in the Roman Empire, or you, you live in Greek society, or even you're Jewish. I want you to imagine 2,000 years ago, you're sitting in a house church, and you get this letter from Paul, and they start reading this letter from Ephesus, and they read this one statement, children, fathers, do not exasperate your children. your jaw would have dropped, especially if you were a dad. And even if you were a wife or a kid or a child, your jaw would have dropped because what Paul said right there in just those words was absolutely revolutionary when he wrote those things 2,000 years ago. Let me tell you why. In both Greek culture and Roman culture, the father was considered by far and away the most superior position, not just in the family, but in all of society. In effect, he was looked upon as kind of not just a father, but a master. And the wife and the children weren't looked upon just as his family. They were actually looked at as something that he owned, practically as property or as a slave. Which is why, which is why by the way, when Paul later on in this, in, or earlier says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love your wives as, as you love your own body. It was absolutely considered to be unbelievably revolutionary, totally countercultural. Because back in that day, the father was seen as the supreme absolute power. As a matter of fact, back in that day, a dad not only had power over his children, listen to this, he had absolute power over his grandchildren. He not only could dictate life to his kids, he had the right and the power to dictate life to his kids. Kids. Romans even allowed children to execute their the fathers to execute their own children. They could beat their children. They could put their children in prison. They could even sell their children into slavery up to three different times. So just imagine what fathers, not to mention wives and children, thought when they heard these words. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, that word exasperate is a very, very strong word. In fact, Paul could not have used a stronger word in the Greek language. It literally means don't provoke them to anger. Don't do things to unnecessarily upset them. Don't do anything to light their fuse. Now, let me just stop right here and just say a word to all of us parents, but especially to our dads. Here's what Paul is really saying to all of us. You can't discipline your kids till you discipline yourself. That's where a lot of us get in trouble. Your number one job as a parent is not to discipline your children. That's number two. Your number one job, I'm talking about discipline. Your number one job is first to discipline yourself, to make sure that you are a person that is disciplining them in the way that they ought to be disciplined. See, our first job is not to control our children. Our first job is to control us. And let me tell you why, because I've done this. It's so easy as a parent, and especially as a dad, it is so easy to use our position and to use our power as parents to bully our children. Sometimes we do it overtly. Sometimes we do it covertly. And we put them down and we force them 
into our mode. So I got to thinking about, okay, what are some ways that we exasperate our children? Sometimes we do it meaning, uh, intentionally, sometimes we don't. So I got to thinking about, what are some ways that we can unnecessarily exasperate our children? And I thought about three or four things. You can just kind of write these down one word at a time. Number one, don't aggravate your children. Don't aggravate your children. Now, can I be honest? There were times I was guilty of that. And I promise you, there's some of you, you're guilty of it too. You just can't help yourself, right? I mean, it just, it just sounds you just get in the flesh. And you just kind of want to aggravate your children. And, and you, know what even, you know what even makes it worse? Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever aggravated your child and you made him or her so angry that they got so angry they popped off and said something very disrespectful and then you punished them because they were disrespectful even though you started it to begin with? I mean, come on, don't look at me so holy out there. Right, we've all done that, right? You know, you kind of picked at them and you, you kind of got it and you finally hit that nerve and you finally got under their skin and man, they finally popped off and you said, all right, go to your room and you're the one that started it. That's exasperating your children. Don't aggravate your children. Don't humiliate your children. Don't ever publicly embarrass your children. Now, I told you I'm going to be transparent and there are some things, I'm, I'll tell you, I was, I was telling my boys as I was working on this series, this was a hard thing for me. This is, you know, it's hard for a pastor sometimes, and I know I need to do it. It's hard to be transparent. It's hard to admit your failures and your weak points, but I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I, I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm ashamed to tell the story. I'm embarrassed to say it. I've asked forgiveness for it. I've been forgiven for it, but I, th this happened. This has been about, I don't know, Jonathan's story. This is about 25 years ago. I was preaching on a Sunday night. I'll tell you how long ago that was, right? So I'm, I'm preaching on a Sunday night, and I don't even remember what I was preaching on. And uh, where, where I was preaching in the worship center where we had all the kids and teenagers would sit under the balcony underneath there to my right. And so I was preaching, and I was kind of really going at it. And uh, out of the corner of my eye, you know, you, you, I kind of saw a commotion, kind of heard a little commotion. And, and I turned over, and guess who's right in the thick of it? Jonathan, my middle son. He's right, I mean, he's, he's over there cutting up with his friends, and he's talking. And so I'm, I'd clear my throat. I'd cough. I did everything I knew to do except throw a shoe at him and trying to get his attention. I let him know, hey, man, you got to cut this thing out. And finally, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it anymore. I quit preaching just like that. I, I walked over to the edge of the platform, and I looked at him. I said, Jonathan, and I mean, boy, you, I mean, then you could hear a pin drop. I said, Jonathan, I said, if you don't sit still, and you don't be quiet, and you don't listen to me, I am going to spank you when we get home. And I said, if the rapture occurs before that happens, I will spank you on the way up. <laughs> now, now, what I said at the time was funny, but not when I said it, and not the way I said it. And not who I said it to. And I was wrong to do that. I humiliated him. I exasperated him. Now, as soon as we got home, I asked him to forgive me. I told him I was sorry. I told him it would never happen again. And, and, and it didn't. But I'm just making the point. Those are the kind of things you don't do to your children. Okay? You don't humiliate them. You don't aggravate them. Let me tell you something else. Don't frustrate your children. And what I mean by that is... Sometimes we're guilty of this. Don't ever start an unnecessary argument with your kids. They'll do that enough on their own. Okay, they, 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 they're experts at doing that. Don't ever on your own pick a fight because as your kids get older, you'll find this out. There will be plenty to debate 
There will be plenty to discuss in a very passionate way. You won't have to start it. But you can create a hill to die on that you'll look back on and realize that's not just worth dying on. So don't frustrate your children. Don't aggravate them. Don't humiliate them. And then this is a big one. Don't intimidate your children. And what I mean by that is don't push your children to try to be something they don't want to be or they can't be. Don't try to live your life through your kids. Allow them to choose their own path for their careers. One of the things I did get right as a dad, I never even came within a country mile of trying to push any of my kids into the ministry. As a matter of fact, if I did anything, I did just the opposite. If anything, I, tried, I would try to discourage them because the ministry's not easy. It's a hard life, and you better make sure you're called or you won't make it. And I've said to them many times, look, I would rather you not go into the ministry and fail than to go into the ministry and fail. And so don't, don't just, you know, allow them to choose their own path. And this is where, again, I want to get as real with you as I know how to be. If you're like me, if I'd heard this message 15, 20 years ago, if you're like me, some of you out there sitting out there right now and you're, you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I, I blew it with my kids or I've blown it with my kids. And by the way, let me just be honest with you. If you haven't blown it, you will. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. Okay, we all blow it at times. So what I've learned and what I want to help you, and hopefully this may be the one reason some of you came to the church today. It's never too late to go back and apologize. It's never too late to go back and ask for forgiveness. Because let me tell you, my greatest failure as a parent, it's easy. My kids will tell you. My greatest failure as a parent was my temper, my impatience. I was too quick-tempered at times with my sons. I, I was too hard on them. So let me tell you something that happened two years ago. Back to be three years ago this Christmas. So two years ago this past Christmas, we all get together for Christmas Day. That's our day to get together. So two years ago, this has kind of been on my heart for a while. So uh, we were all, you know, getting ready to, to open gifts. And so I, I said to James and Jonathan and Joshua, I said, hey, I need you guys to come down to the basement for a minute. And so they all came downstairs. And uh, so I sat down on the couch. And I said, hey, guys, I just got to tell you something real quick. It won't take but a minute. So they're kind of looking at me like, you know, what's going on? And I, I, to be honest, I just lost it. I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't mean I teared up. I mean, I began to sob. I, I began to sob. James, he's always trying to cut up. He, everything's funny to James. He said, Dad, that's okay. We knew you were going to cut us out of your will. Don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> and I mean, really, I was just, I was weeping. And I bet I wept four minutes. Couldn't just, every time I try to talk, I just, I get choked up. Couldn't, almost get choked up now thinking about it. I finally got my composure, and I'm going to read to you exactly what I said to them. I said, I want to ask you three to forgive me for the times that I lost my temper, for the times I raised my voice, for the times that I was impatient with you. I want you to know I make no excuses. I'm simply asking for your forgiveness, but I want you to know you could have never had a dad that loves you more than I love you. Now, they were kind and they were gracious and they were forgiving and they all said, oh, dad, you were a great dad and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I want to tell you, it was one of the most cleansing moments of my life. It's one of the best things I've ever done as a human being to let them know, look, I, guys, I was, I, there were times I was not a very good dad to you. I get that. There were times I failed as a dad. I'm sorry. It wasn't because I didn't love you. It really wasn't. At the same time, I realized that I exasperated you at times when I shouldn't have. And so I just want to encourage some of you here today, you may need to do that, and I would encourage you to do it. The point I want to make is you need to give your children tender affection. By the way, just as an aside, if you're a grandparent, this is one of the great things about being a You know what grandparents are? It's the do-over. Grandparents are the do-over. 
I tell, one of the funniest things that happened in my home now, I can't tell you how many times that James or Joshua will look at me when I'm taking care of my, their kids, and they'll say, where were you when I was growing up? I mean, what is this business about? You're at Pop's house. You can have anything you want. Where, where'd that, where, where's that guy when I was growing up? You know, and oh, that's okay. We can replace that broken window. Where was that guy growing up? You know, so I'm just saying, you get to do the do-over, right? So you give your kids tender affection. Job one. Number two, give your children wise direction. Give them wise direction. Now listen, it is not enough just to put a roof over your children's head. You've got to do all you can to put the Lord into your children's heart. So Paul goes on to tell us this. Bring them up. Every word here is key now. Bring them up, that's a key word, in the training, big word, and instruction, big word, of the Lord, big phrase, all right? It's not enough just to put a roof over their head, put the Lord in their heart. Now, what does all of that mean? Well, let's take it one step at a time. Bring them up. What that literally means is it means to rear or to nurture from childhood. Now, let me just say this. It is never too late ever to give your children wise direction, but I'm going to tell you something you already know. It is best to start early. That's why we take such pride in our preschool area. That's why we're building this children's building. That's why we, we really emphasize quality because we want our toddlers. Listen, let me tell you what we do. We sing to your little babies, my little, my little grandbaby, and we sing to them. We, we, we say Bible verses to them. We teach little children Bible verses and Bible principles. Now, we do it in creative ways. We do it verbally. We do it visually. But you know why we do what we do? We're trying to partner with you. We're trying to do here what you need to be doing at home. We're trying to do all that we can early on to bring them up in the Lord. By the way, that word training. The word training means to train up a child. It literally refers to childhood education. And this is especially relevant to those of you who have babies and preschoolers and small children. And let me tell you why it is so important that you strike while that iron is proverbially hard. Let me tell you why it's such an important thing. I'll give an illustration. I've never read this before. This is kind of fascinating to me. A baby goose is called a gosling. All right? It's called a gosling. And a gosling has a very peculiar characteristic. In fact, it's really kind of funny when you think about it. When a baby goose is born... First hatch comes out of the mother's womb. That baby goose will be attached to the first thing he sees moving near him. And from that time forward, that little gosling will follow that object wherever it moves around him. Now, ordinarily, it will be attached, or it's what, it's what, it's what animal experts call imprinted. Ordinarily, they will be imprinted to the mother goose because normally the first thing they see, obviously, when they're able to see after a few seconds is that mother goose. However, this is amazing. If the mother goose, for whatever the reason, is not around, that gosling will easily become imprinted with or attached to anything they find that moves. It could be a football bladder dragged by a string. It could be a wall, a ball rolling on the ground. But the very first thing they see moving, they're going to follow that wherever that thing goes. The important factor is time. 
You've got to make sure for when the first thing that gosling sees is that mother goose because you want that goose, that gosling to be attached to that mother goose because that gosling is vulnerable to imprinting for just a few seconds after it comes out of the shell. And if that opportunity is lost, it can never be regained. So in other words, if that goose is born and after about you know, a few seconds, the eyes kind of begin to focus, if the first thing that goose sees is you pulling a football blade on a string, it's going to follow that bladder for the rest of its life. Well, pay attention to the mom. It's just got that little short window. There's this small window in the life of that little goose. When that goose is going to decide, this is who I'm going to follow. This is what I'm going to follow. And I say all that to say this. You can't teach a 14-year-old the same way you teach a 6-year-old. You can't even teach a 6-year-old the same way you teach a 3-year-old. And you've got to seize that opportunity while that child is young. When that child doesn't yet know right from wrong, that's your window to start teaching that child right from wrong. Francis Xavier, the famous Catholic, said said it better than anybody I've ever heard. Listen to what he said, and I think he's right. He said, you give me children until they are seven years old, and anyone can have them the rest of their life. It's true. Why do you think... Why do you think these terrorists are training their children to be terrorists? Why do you think they're putting AK-47s in the hands of 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 year olds? They know what they're doing. They want to train that child early. They want to imprint on that child's mind a hatred for America, a hatred for this, a hatred for that, a desire to do this, a desire to do that. And, And what God is telling us is start from the womb. Get the God of the Word into their heart and get their heart into the Word of God. Now, I know you know that. You've heard that before, right? Every parent ought to get their child to get into the Word and they ought to get the Word into them. But this is where I want to say something to all you parents out there. You cannot, let me pick this up. You cannot pick this up first. You cannot teach what you don't know. So let me just make this real plain. If you're not going to get into this book on your own, and you're not going to do everything you can to get your kids into this book and get this book into them, forget being a godly parent. Forget it. It's not going to happen. That's your your job. You've got to get the Word of God into them, and you've got to get their heart into the Word of God. And see, here's the beautiful thing. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. There are so many ways to do that. There are so many uh, resources out there. If you don't know them, call us. Call our preschool lady. Call our children. Call our children's minister. Call Missy. Call Jamie. We'll tell you how to do it. There are so many great children's books out there because there's really only one tool you need, and that is the Bible. And there are all kinds of ways to do it. Tons of Bible stories books. Yesterday, I got my three grandchildren together. You know, Connor's too small. I got my three grandchildren together before, right before we ate breakfast. I, had a, I, have, a, I have a little Bible story book that, that I have, a little children's Bible story book. We read the Bible story. I had, I had my two kids on, on each side that can read. And when they took turns, we read about the crucifixion and the resurrection. It took about three, four minutes. And then I said to them, so now tell me why Jesus died. They, well, he died for our sins. Well, tell me what happened after he died. Well, he was raised from the dead. Well, why did God raise him from the dead? To prove he was the son of God. Boom, that's it. Okay, now, because you love Jesus and because you believe in Jesus, you need to live like that every day. We had prayer. That was it. It's not that hard. It's really not. It's just like Nike says, just do it. 
Find a time when we were doing it with our kids. We, we did it at the breakfast table every, every morning when, before they went to school. We'd have a little quiet time, a little devotional time. It's not hard. We can help you do that. All right, give your children wise direction. Number three, give your children, now this is important, encouraging correction. Not just correction. Give your children encouraging correction. Because Paul goes on to tell us we ought to bring our children up, remember, in the instruction of the Lord. Now, that word instruction is, a, is, a, is an important word. It, it literally combines two words. It combines the word mind, your mind, and it, combi- it, and it, con- it uh, uh, connects it to the word or the verb to place. So what that word instruction literally means is to place before the mind. Sometimes it's translated admonition. Sometimes it's translated warning. If you admonish someone or you warn someone, you're correcting them or you're disciplining them, right? So what he's talking about now is there is a place where you've got to discipline, you've got to correct your children. Now, I know this is true, suffice to say, it's a lot more fun to direct your children to do what is right than it is to correct your children when they do what is wrong. I get that. But both of them are necessary. And again, this is a part of my parenting I wish I could do over again. Because I was at times too harsh in my discipline. I was at times too strict. And so let me just tell you, if you're kind of struggling in this area, if you say, look, I don't want to be too hard, but I don't want to be too easy. I don't want to be too authoritarian, but I don't want to be too lenient. Then let me just give you a couple of principles to remember that kind of help you maybe in, in, in your discipline, your children. All right. Number one, always make sure the punishment fits the crime. Before you do any discipline, ask yourself, okay, I mean, is this a misdemeanor or is this a felony? Right? So if they don't clean the room, that's a misdemeanor. If they talk back to mom, that's a felony. All right, so does the punishment fit the crime? Make sure. Number two, make sure the crime deserves punishment. I mean, is this really something I ought to punish them for? Or is it something I ought to just sit them down and say, look, this is why you should not do that. And and I know you've heard this before, but it is so important when you discipline a child or even a teenager, the most important thing you've got to do before you discipline that child, listen, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. The most important thing you've got to do before you discipline a child, they've got to understand why they're being disciplined. They've got to understand this is why you are being punished. And always communicate, you need to understand something, little lady or little fellow. This is not something I'm doing to you. This is something I'm doing for you. In fact, one of the things that I used to say to my kids, and I wish I'd said it more often, is this. I'd say something like this. I'd say, let me tell you why I'm punishing you. It's because I love you too much to let you behave that way. I love you too much to let you get away with that. I love you too much to think that that kind of behavior does not have consequences. Because remember, the ultimate purpose of discipline is not to discourage your child. It's to encourage your child. The ultimate purpose of discipline is not just to correct them when they do wrong. It is to direct them to do what is right. To encourage them. So give your children encouraging correction. Now here's the last thing. And this is the most important. This is what separates the men from the boys. Give your children godly protection. See I believe in this verse. This is me. It's a preacher me I guess. 
I believe by far and away the most important words in that whole verse, the most important words of those 18 words are the last three words. Because I think they're the key to everything he says. Bring them up in the training and instruction. Would you just say that out loud with me? Of the Lord. Say it one more time. Of the Lord. All right, now watch this. Those three words, that is what separates Christian parents from every other parent in the world. Now, let me explain this. There are certain things every parent ought to do for their children. I don't care whether you're a Christian parent or non-Christian parent. I don't care if you're a Hindu parent, Buddhist parent, Muslim parent, Jewish parent, atheist parent, unbelieving parent. I, I don't care. I don't care if you're a Southern parent or a Yankee parent. Doesn't matter to me. Democrat, Republican parent, doesn't matter. There are certain things every parent ought to do for their children, right? You ought to bring your children up to be generally moral, generally good. You ought to teach your children to be kind, to be respectful, to be courteous, to obey the law, to behave, to get under authority. I mean, every parent ought to do that, right? But here's the difference. Here's the difference. What I just said to you, for most every parent out there right now, that's their ceiling. They think, hey, if I raise my kids to be good kids, moral kids, decent kids, law-abiding kids, kind kids, courteous kids, responsible kids, you know, uh, 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 obedient kids. If I do that, I've hit the jackpot. That's the ceiling, not for a Christian parent. That's just the floor. That's just getting started. You haven't even arrived yet. And let me tell you why. Our job as a parent is not to raise good children. Now, you probably never heard a pastor say that, so I'm going to say it one more time. Our job as a parent is not to raise good children. Our job as a parent, is to raise godly children. Not good children. Dime a dozen parents do that. Godly children. If you are a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you understand your supreme task, your number one goal, the greatest ambition you ought to have for your children is that they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and that their lives are completely and totally surrendered to Him. And this job of bringing children up in the training and instruction of the Lord is not the job of the Christian school. It is not even the primary job of the church. It is the essential duty and job and primary responsibility of the parents. Let me tell you why. Because ultimately, ultimately, the greatest influence in the lives of your children should never be the school. It should never be the church. It should never even be the pastor. It ought to be you, mom and dad. You ought to be the greatest single influence in the life of your children. Listen, thank you. I, I, I'll accept that. And by the way, Melvin, say hi to the governor. Give me my best. Now, listen, There are certain things you can't do as a parent. You cannot abdicate your role as the spiritual leader of your children. You cannot delegate the role of your spiritual leadership of your children.
And you cannot hesitate in fulfilling the role of being the spiritual leader of your children. Because the number one desire, goal, ambition, and hunger of a true godly parent is to rear godly children. And here's why this is so important. It takes godly parents to raise godly children, and it takes God to make a godly parent. And that's why, parents, this message really isn't for kids. This is not one of those messages where you sit your kids down and say, now I want you to listen to what the pastor said today. This is the kind of message where you ought to sit yourself down and say, now this is the kind of parent God wants me to be today. I need need to be talking to me. See, I I realize, look, I I get it. There are a lot of things we all want to do for our kids. I get it. A lot of things I want to do for my kids. If you're like me, There were things I wanted to give my kids that my dad and mom were not able to give me, and and God blessed me, and I was able to do some of those things. But looking back on my time as a parent, I can tell you this, and I can go to my grave knowing this will be true today, tomorrow, and if the world lasts a million years, it will still be true. I'm going to show you the two greatest and best things you will ever do for your kids. Absolutely. Everything else is a world below what I'm about to tell you. Here are the two Greatest things you will ever do as a parent and ever do for your children. Number one, live a godly life before them. Set the example. You let them know you don't just have a good dad. You got a godly dad. You don't have just a good mom. You got a godly mom. I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not a perfect mom. I don't mean to be. And you, my son, you, my daughter, you're going to see flaws in me and faults in me and failures in me that nobody else will ever see. So I'm just going to tell you that right up front. But at the same time, with God's help, I'm going to do everything I can to show you God in my life. Live a godly life before your children. And then number two, you lead them to live a godly life. Two greatest things you'll ever do. You live a godly life before them, and you lead them to live a godly life. There are a lot of things you can fail to do as a parent, and you can get away with it. But there is one thing we must not do as long as it's in our power to do so, and that is we've got to make sure that our children have God in their heart and make sure that our children have a heart for God. There was a little boy And he attended a worship service, and and they had a parent-child dedication. And so on the way home from church, they got in the car, and I mean, they had him left the parking lot. And this little boy just, he's in the back seat, and he starts bawling his eyes out. I mean, he's just, he's just inconsolable. He's just, I mean, he's just almost hysterical. And his dad looked in the rearview mirror, and he said, son, he said, what's wrong, son? What's wrong? And the boy finally got his breath, and he wiped his tears, and he cleared his throat, and he said, daddy... Did you hear what the preacher said today? He said, well, what, what, son? He said, well, daddy, the preacher said that every child ought to be raised in a good Christian home, but I'd rather stay with you and mom. (laughs) So parents, here's my question. So what kind of home are you raising your kids in today? Typical, dime a dozen, run of the mill, eat your cereal, clean your room, do your homework, mind your manners. Are you raising your kids in a home where they know there's nothing more important in my life than having Jesus Christ in my heart? 
There's nothing more important to my dad and my mom than having a love for God and a love for God's church and a love for God's word and a love for God's people and a love for God's will. No, you may, may, may not be able to give your children the nicest home. And you may, may not be able to give your children the finest home. You may not be able to be, be able to give your children the biggest home. But there's one thing everyone in this room can do and we better do, and that's give our children a godly home. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads in prayer just for a moment? Heads bowed and eyes closed.